What I believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. This week we're with Tim Minchin. Tim Minchin is a, well, what isn't he? He's a composer, a lyricist, musician, comedian, actor, writer, producer, director, advocate of humanism and science, best known probably to most people for his musical comedy and live shows, which he's performed across the world. And more recently, of course, his acting. I'm delighted to say he's also a patron of Humanist UK. Tim, one of the first ways in which I think many British listeners, at least British humanist listeners, uh, will have encountered you was your uh, poem Storm. I know that that was the first thing I heard of yours. And that lays out a pretty uh, sceptical basis for a worldview. Does that embody your own views? Yeah, I think so. And I think at that time that I wrote Storm, I had been uh, playing around the edges of uh, trying to outline in my material a worldview um, and obviously the place where it's easiest to play if you're trying to do slightly sort of confronting comedy is is religion but I wanted to do something that talked more about just the sort of inexactness of many worldviews not not just in the language of religion but in the language of sort of general spirituality and general sort of anti-science anti-medicine that, that kind of thing that I grew up with studying arts and studying music and being surrounded by various types of hippies where people would sort of wear as a badge of honour a rejection of boring old data and a sort of embracing of some grand uh, bigger-than-me thing and they'd put all these wafty words to it as, and the kind of more inexact the language was, the more spiritually elevated they would feel. And I I wanted to sort of wade into that a bit. And so Storm starts with small, seemingly unimportant claims about homeopathy and stuff. And the protagonist, you know, my guy, who is an irascible, pompous twat, um, kind of just gets (laughs) more... So it's not based on you. (laughs) Yeah, it's very based. No, it's it's based on the sort of person I would be if I was less filtered, if I was less... (laughs) worried about keeping the dinner party going. Um, but, you know, he, he, it, it, it gets him, it gets under his skin and, until he has to make, she, Storm, expands outwards from her small claims to bigger claims about knowledge and he, too, expands outwards to bigger appeals and his appeal that he ends up on is, isn't this enough, just this this world, you know, and... and I don't know, it had a bit of an impact, that poem. And, and look, all these years later, I, there's nothing in it that I would take back. I might just, right. I, don't, I don't have the energy to be so strident anymore. It, it, it is, I think, it, it did have a massive impact. I mean, people were talking about it sort of around um, 
around sort of the circles that I was in, I think are circles a lot of listeners have been for for many years um, and listening to it every time you performed it and, and they found a lot in it. And I suppose um, it is because it, it does deal with such um, a prevalent and many people would think dangerous set of uh, beliefs, um, this sort of anti-science, hippie, um, homeopathic worldview. I mean, we're recording this in, in the middle of the, the lockdown that's been imposed as a result of the COVID pandemic. And I suppose that reminds us yet again how dangerous this sort of Deepak Chopra idea can yeah. be. Well, we're in the most, I mean, I mean, every year that's gone by since I wrote that, and, and in the same era, I wrote uh, Matilda, my, my songs for Matilda the Musical, which have Mrs. Wormwood espousing what you know matters less than the volume with which what you don't know is expressed content has never meant and content has never been less important um and and you know i i I keep fearing my material will date but in fact the, the the things you and i were complaining about over beers in 2009 yeah. Uh, Eleven years later, have come home to roost, and yeah. and this and, and 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 the criticism people like I would get back then um, about something like Storm was, and I was I was sensitive to this criticism because I wondered if they were right with with both my dismantling of um, soft religious ideas like prayer and my um, my my satire of soft. Uh, spiritual ideas like uh, homeopathy, um, the criticism might be, man, chill out, bro. Like mm. people are allowed to just believe stuff, you know. You don't have to throw data at their faces. And, and, and look, there's a criticism there to be listened to at times and another discussion that maybe we'll have later about what happens if you go hard at soft beliefs with with the backfire effect that it makes people double down on their beliefs and get harder, right? But that's yeah. a whole a whole other conversation. But um, I look back now and think that what what we were noticing, what what people have been noticing for 150 years, is something that has got much much more problematic post uh, social media post algorithmic editing and, and, and filter bubbles. And, and in this post-truth world we live in, it's all because of uh, entry-level gateway soft ideas that reject the basic tenets of critical thinking. I, I really do believe that. I think a reasonably harmless idea that you have arrived at through poor thinking and that you sustain through special pleading and through confirmation bias and because of the backfire effect those things are your training ground for dangerous bad ideas like maybe bleach will help you cure covid (laughs) or 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 that donald trump is an intelligent president is a dangerous idea that has been, been arrived at using the same techniques as um the idea that the afterlife might exist so you believe, obviously, in contrast to that, in critical thinking, in truth, and in in, in the use of reason. Um, and obviously, you believe, as this discussion shows, but as you've already said, in tackling um, these ideas. Let's talk a little bit about 
um, what you said um, about the pos- about the backfire effect, though, because mm. um, is there anything in that? I mean, you mentioned Donald Trump. Um, isn't one of the possible explanations for um, his election um, the uh, the reaction of people who had been told that they were wrong, that they were dumb, that they were stupid? Yeah, so I, I, I definitely think so, to the extent that uh, I've been touring this show called Back for the last um, 18 months, and the main rant I do in that show is a rant... Uh, criticising us, progressives, educated progressives, lefties, I suppose, but I don't like to use the term left because it's conflated with a bunch of other stuff, but progressive, liberal intellectuals, or or whatever, fuck intellectuals, you know what I mean. Like um, Exactly what you mean. People who read books and stuff. And And my main rant in my show has been, where is your evidence, basically, that screaming at people who don't know what you know is helping, you know, and, and the kind of, I, I, I'll, the, the shortcut to the end of my rant is we have to understand whether we like it or not that when the internet democratised the conversation, when it democratised um, the, 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 the ability for people to communicate their ideas to one another, at the same time it democratised um uh, what's what's the word? My brain. Um, uh, what do you call a person that goes from one tribe to another? A di- diplomacy that it democratizes oh, the obligation for diplomacy. And the reason we've had diplomats before the conversation was democratized. The reason yes. we sent people who were trained, wearing special clothes, trained <laughs> to grit their teeth and speak politely and with respect to people whose ideas they loathed. The reason we had those people is because to get forward movement, to get a, a, a convalescence of ideas, you need to not be screaming at each other. And so I am furious with the left and I, the progressives and I include myself in uh. a group of people who have at times been too vociferous in voicing their disagreement. Uh we need to be the bigger tribe because we are the ones who have the privilege. Uh, we are statistically more educated and we have to do better because I have no doubt that Trump exists because people are sick of smug assholes like me telling them how to think. The dif- difficulty, I suppose, is trying to frame a reaction to that that doesn't sound like the reaction of a smug asshole. The smuggest out of, <laughs> like, and, and, and I, I don't think I'm a smug person. I don't think it manifests itself in my life particularly, but my no. stock in trade, my craft was, what if I take this idea and utterly dismantle it with words that the people who want to defend it can't even fucking keep up with? Mm. It was preaching to the choir, and it's, it's fine because I know for a fact from the letters I received that hundreds of kids have discovered humanism and atheism through my work, young people yeah. who are trying to form their ideas, people like me give them, as to, as to an organisation like yours, it gives them somewhere yeah. to go to solidify their suspicions, to put words and, and arguments around their intuitive, uh, the, the things they discover. I don't think we do... Uh, I think we're, you know, um, ranty assholes like me 
are important, but I don't think I would like the second half of my career, and I think what I've been writing in the last 10 years, I would like to try and be one of the people reaching across better. So you believe in trying to be more diplomatic yourself in the future? I do, I do. I think I think I I came I got a career, I built a career on polemic, and now every fucker's a polemicist. And I don't want to be I wanna I don't I, I wanna jump out of there now. When I was doing it, it, it the way I was doing pro science, pro uh, skeptical, uh, atheist um, um polemic was uh, unusual-ish, you know, or at least uh, for someone with a funny piano and lots of rhymes to be doing what, you know, the new atheists were doing in their books was was unusual enough to give me a career. Now every everyone is shouting and I would like, and I have stopped largely shouting. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's that that that's that is to some extent, isn't it, the spirit of the age? I mean, it's like it's interesting that you mentioned sort of the the different situation ten years ago. Um, it does seem like our times call for a more cooperative, collaborative, diplomatic um, approach. Um, I don't know if everyone is capable of being an, a diplomatic envoy for their ideas. I don't think anyone, I think nearly no one is. That's hard challenge. And you guys, you are, you always have been. Um, but even you, I mean, even with your level, I mean, you, Andrew, as well as you. (laughs) That's me. Yeah, I mean, as well as the organisation, the the broader you are the are the model. And yet, how hard is it to make any inroads? I mean, people. If, if, if people can uh, reject outright the ideas of Humanist UK, then they're definitely going to reject uh, me or people who are more strident. I, That's true. There's a lot of bad faith as well. I mean, you know, you can spend a lot of time engaging. Yeah, there's, so much, there's an assumption of nefarious intent all the time on both sides. I, I think... The progressive, firstly, the binary is bullshit. It's not like there's two sides. Mm. But to the extent that we can talk about it as if there are, because that sadly there is two sides more than there's ever been before because the binary is being generated by the myth of itself. Because we, because we believe it's binary, it's becoming binary. And the, I, I think we're as bad as each other, if not exactly as bad, close enough to as bad as each other for it to be, uh, you know, for us to just... Treat. So it's a close-run thing, that's certainly true. Because we assume nefarious intent in others. Mm. We assume that other people are deliberately bad. Now, that is nearly always wrong, with the exception yeah. of psychopaths who are also not deliberately bad, but they're definitely, you know, psychopathic. <laughs> but mostly people think they're doing something good, mostly. And mostly people are trying to progress an agenda that they think will make more people happy. And most importantly, if you're 
approach to the problem of trying to spread your worldview is that you happily take out of context stuff that the other side says and dog whistle on the basis of an out of context quote, which we all do on both sides all day, every day on social media, then you are part of the problem. And when I say you, I mean me and nearly everyone I know. We must not respond to the dog whistle. And I'm passionate about this because I, two weeks ago, had thousands of messages of hate from my fellow Australians for making the gentlest, gentlest, quite laid back Skype comments about our, our Prime Minister's mediocrity. Because a bunch of news outlets put a headline on it saying I lashed out and everyone just responded. And I thought to myself, these bloody right-wing fools, just they just dogs go barking as soon as someone blows the dog whistle. And then I sat down and I thought to myself, are we any better? And I looked through the internet with that filter in mind for the next week and I went, nah, we do it too. But actually, you didn't just think that, did you? Because I kept an eye on some of those interactions and I saw that at least in one or two cases, you took the time, maybe because of the contemplation you've just talked about, you took the time to respond um, in good faith to a number of people and you actually got quite a good reaction, didn't you? Yeah, so when you when you get a backlash, you, you either turn off and walk away, like I did with the Cardinal Pell song, because I knew that would be too hot to touch. Um I find it very hard to turn off and, and walk away. I, I care very much that people know I, my intentions are good. I care very much what people think of me. I, I would like to not, but I do. And and right. so when I know there's thousands of people saying, you're just a lefty, and, and mischaracterising uh, me and my intent, I, I find it almost unbearable, uh, impossible to walk away. So I spent a good few hours, like, responding, and I think... Uh, I want I want to die having my online footprint being uh, free of um, uh, abuse. So I am very careful these days and have been for years to uh, treat politely even people who are making death threats and stuff. And I I had a few really good successes in that. You know, if you, if you yeah. say to people, I read this and um, I just want you to know that's not who I am and that wasn't what I said and, um, you know, I suggest blah, blah. Mm. It can be tiresome because people come, people don't like being wrong, so they'll come back at you with something else and they'll sidestep the argument and do all that shit that we do. But, um, you know, it, it's sometimes worth it and at least, at the very least, you put on the record your position, you know. So is this the opposite? Is this what you do believe in, the opposite of this sort of zero-sum, aggressive, polarised um, activity online? The, op- the opposite of that, the thing that you do want to advance, is this, what, honest engagement or gentle engagement? Oh, yeah, what is it about this? absolutely gentle. Look, I don't know. What, what do I, I... I believe primarily in honesty, it, I, I think... Um, I think um, we are very easily tempted to dishonesty, uh, not not as in lying, but as in um, sort of uh, taking up a sword on behalf of our tribe rather than genuinely trying to illustrate uh, 
our thoughts. I don't know. That's not a very particular way of putting it. Well, I suppose, are you talking about, the, are we too eager to take shortcuts rather instead of thinking for ourselves to just sort of, because we're allied with a certain side, to, you know, assume, right, this is the right position. Yeah, I think that's right. That. And I think our great fraudulence is our, our branding of ourselves online, this attempt to keep ourselves as if we've never done something selfish, as if we know, know everything. We'll, we'll quickly Google something to make it appear that when we said a thing, we had the information. That we, you know, it's it's all dishonest. I try really hard to be honest, but I, I fail. I mean, my whole online life is a branding exercise. Luckily, my brand is is honesty. And 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 actually, my brand, despite the fact what right-wing Australians think, because all they've heard is my uh, my... There's a whole populated part of the Australian population who only hear what I'm doing if one of the right wing shock jocks talk about it. So they they think all I do is write mean songs about Catholic priests. You know, Um, they they literally don't know that I write children's musicals and stuff. But um, well, that's actually another one of the problems, isn't it? I mean, we find that I'd find that myself in my work is that the people there's a certain people who only come up when you're when you're saying something about you know how you don't want church school this or church school that and they say oh you're always talking yeah. about this and you think well actually no, you know you 97% of the time I'm talking about yeah, positive things of, Happy. of course you only hit the news when you say something that upsets someone and I'm the same and so it's a pity yeah. I, I do think the decay of discourse and Forster and Russell would just die if they were alive well, yeah, that's true. The, the decay of discourse on on both sides, but I think worse on the right. But I would think that um, <laughs> is devastating. And so, most of what I'm trying to do, apart from just make interesting art that is entertaining and makes people feel things, and and definitely making people feel things, is. Um, my main mission i mean the thing that reflects most who i am as an artist now is my tv show upright which is just a story of uh self-forgiveness and family and uh, perseverance and um, um, um generosity you know learning to give to someone else and stuff i mean that has been that has been an ex- extremely well reviewed and widely enjoyed um piece of art yeah I'm, I'm stoked with it to be honest uh, it's nice what values do you think it does convey well it is like everything i do whether i like it or not it is a very humanist text i mean the, the first yes um episode the the very first sort of monologue the first thing anyone says is lucky talking about chance and you know the kid says everything happens for a reason and he does his big monologue about the cellist from electric light orchestra being killed by a rolling hay bale and um and just stats and and then the whole show unfolds and you don't learn until the very end what the protagonist's issue is why he's got such a massive chip on his shoulder and he realized that his entire life was upended by a tiny tiny chance occurrence which he's never been able to despite his sort of humanist worldview, has never really been able to get his head around. And that is the humanist yeah. battle. That is the battle of living a, a materialist uh, life, is that is is building narratives around the terrible things that happen. And, and you have written eloquently about it in your, in your tragedy and in the last year of your life. 
my friend over here, Julia Baird, has written a book called Phosphorescence, which is about this very subject, about finding light in, in the darkness. And that is all I do, really. I'm trying to make work that shines a light on the question of how to live a meaningful life in a meaningless universe. And, and that is your mission too, I believe. You're on, that's all true, and that's definitely true. That's what a humanist, you know, um, that's one of the things that is constitutive of what a humanist believes is that we're giving the meaning to yeah. our lives now. Um, it's not waiting to be discovered. It's something that's, you know, it's an act of creation. But having said that, most humanists that um, have, most people that have been involved with humanist organisations over um, the decades and centuries, and Ian Forster, you know, uh, who's partly the inspiration of this podcast, Ian Forster is, is, is one of the exceptions to this, actually, have not been um, novelists, musicians, um, creators, artists. They've been philosophers, scientists, you know, politicians. Um, and yet the act of artistic creation is a very humanist one, as you've just said. And obviously many people, including you, um, approach their work um, yeah, knowing well, that. We... No, I think there are a lot of um, many artists uh, have scientific worldviews, but but a lot of them haven't spent much time sort of doing the science. There probably aren't a lot of artists. Mm. Uh, there probably aren't a lot of sort of people I meet who write musicals and and uh, act and stuff. There are plenty, but there's probably not a majority who are really kind of into data. <laughs> you know, right. the right. yeah. part of me, um, and it really influences my work. And I certainly don't think it makes my work better or worse than anyone else's. I, um, I do care about it very much, though. I do. I do. Um, quantify, Are you inspired. Yeah, I'm inspired by it? by it definitely, and I quantify my worth in its terms, as in I see my role as an artist to bring meaningful narratives to a meaningless universe. And I, that's a, something that's developed. I didn't set out at 17. I set out at 17 to go, oh, if I play piano in piano bars, I'll get laid. Um, I, I wasn't setting out. It's just what I've developed as I've had kids and, and you know, gone through things in my life that have caused pain and all those things that, that yeah. a life gives you. And now I'm in my 40s and I certainly have a hell of a lot to learn. But one of the things I realise I can speak to that not everyone can speak to is this slightly interesting interception, intersection of, of science and, and story uh, and science and music. And, uh, and you know, and I, I, I did a speech at my old uni uh, four or five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, um, uh, where I talked about this the myth that the science and the arts are kind of separate, are non-overlapping magisteria. Mm. They, they, they are absolutely just mm. part of the same curve. And I actually um, wrote a foreword to a book of Australian science writing that addresses this subject head on about the mythologies of an artist is meant to, you know, only see the colours and the, it's, it's a, it's, it, you know, right. you, that, that, that dissecting light into photons or into its constituent <laughs> waves is is somehow anti-artistic is something I, I reject. But that is the way it usually goes. I mean, usually they're expecting scientists to see beauty and to understand art rather than artists to 
understand yeah. science. I mean, and there's a... cliches about it, but it's, it's bollocks. I mean, there are scientists who are predisposed to write incredibly florally about the world they observe, including in in moments, Darwin. And oh, yes. Old. I mean, Darwin's yeah, writing is beautiful. Yeah, Dawkins yeah. is very floral. Yeah. People forget that about him yeah. because he's, his personality is... Um, I think he's probably pretty neuroatypical, but he, uh, um, but he's a beautiful writer, and um, and of course, endless artists have been <laughs> from Brian May, a long way back from him, have been interested in, in science. Yes, and of course, true. in the old that's days, true. it was unacceptable to be one and not the other. Of course, if you, you know, if if you go back yeah. to the Renaissance, you you absolutely had to understand physics to paint. I want to come on just um, uh, away a little bit from uh, from science and the sort of ideas that uh, uh, the convictions that one might have about how to view the universe and so on to talk a little bit about um, about values. I mean, we've touched on the two, and it's possible that beliefs and values. I mean, the more that anyone thinks about it, I think the harder they find it to separate the two. But um, a lot of your work has has dwelt as well on um, what matters in our personal lives. Mm. And um, part of that, of course, is, I don't want to make it sound like Storm is the only thing that you've ever done, but um, your character in Storm combines this um, uh, rationalistic, uh, materialistic, scientific worldview with this um, humanistic approach to understanding their own life, um, you know, the enjoyment they get from it, contemplation um of their place in the universe yes but also uh happiness Hmm. what would you say um about that what would you say about uh meaning in life well not just not theoretically but actually what does that get you up i don't i guess i don't have some people who are brought up to be religious find they have to um rebuild uh, a scaffold upon which to um, to brick in meaning. I, I've never had, I don't really understand the question. You know, when, when a religious person says, well, why are you good? Or what's the point of life? I, I literally don't understand the question. I, I don't really get what someone means when they say, well, where do you get good or bad from? I just want to go, well, what do you mean? Like, are you saying you you are you are morally bankrupt but for a book of 2,000-year-old fables? Like, what do you mean? Like, like I, I just don't get it. I don't... I think this is this is a hazard for us, definitely. I mean, yeah. I'm like a fourth fourth generation humanist as well. This is yeah. a hazard for people, I think, like us, who are like, uh, hold on, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I do. It's just like I mean, I have no idea what people mean when they when they say the word God. I, I always I always want to start with well, let's break down some attributes so we can at least talk about it. Like I always want to say, does God poo? Like let's start with does God poo and work from there. Like I can't, I can't. God, God always just seems to be someone's word for for nothing. I just go, why don't you just? I, I think I know what you mean by God, and I think I think it's just the question mark, the great question mark. Or, or, or something. It's, it, it, I really do. I have a um, linguistic, a, a sort of, you know, rhetorical block. Um, but 
Yeah, so I, so I, I guess that that whole sort of rant is a is a a prologue to saying that I think I get meaning where everyone else does. It's just that the stories I tell uh, uh, are my own analogies and fables, and you, you know, I I as in I get from art what people might get from religion, and I and everything else is the same. I I get joy from cuddles with my kids and my dog and laughter with my friends and, and a huge amount of joy from the natural world and and conversely a massive amount of despair at its abuse and um, decay and the overpopulation of our awful invasive species. But I, 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 I also see myself as a machine, the inputs and outputs of which um, are to be carefully monitored. So I am very aware that I can get a little down if I don't sleep the right amount and if I don't exercise every day and if I eat poorly or if I, you know, I, I, I attach great um, value to my relationship with my partner of 27 years and, and acknowledge the challenge of monogamy and therefore take rewards from achieving monogamy. Um, mm. I get a massive... I am obsessed by my work as well. I, I, the fact that I'm allowed to write songs and scripts and act and play and wank on on podcasts and spend my life trying to unpack and articulate ideas is to me just the most incredible stroke of luck and I try and not take it for granted. I really like wine um i don't have as much sex as i used to because i'm old um well it might make a comeback <laughs> it might make a come i mean come you know it, it, it might be linked to the wine yeah it? totally that's right but you know i i um you know my, my happiness is completely linked to my children now when they're distressed i'm distressed and when they're happy i'm happy with with very few exceptions that was tim minchin telling us about his life and his outlook on the world as a humanist for the what i believe podcast what I Believe is the weekly podcast from Humanist UK, and this was just the third episode of our first season. We're releasing new episodes every Thursday, and if you'd like to support the podcast or find out more about the humanist approach to life, Humanist UK, or the work we do, you can find that out at the Humanist UK website, humanist.uk, where you can also sign up as a supporter or a member. Next week, I'll be talking to entrepreneur, chief executive, writer and speaker, Margaret Heffernan, about what she believes. She believes.